ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. So here we go with a Books of the Year podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. Justin Webb uh, is still here. And I'm sorry, I make it sound as though he's hanging around. <laughs> but, uh, but only because we've invited him to. The Gift of a Radio, My Childhood and Other Trainwrecks. You can hear us discuss that uh, in our companion podcast. But uh, here we go with a Q&A, uh, which is going to Justin Webb. So, Justin, question number one. What was the last book? that you really, really enjoyed? Last book I really, really enjoyed was Light Perpetual by Francis Spufford. Uh, it was quite celebrated. It came out, well, maybe last summer, perhaps a bit before then. I think I, wrote, I read it last summer. Um, it's the most extraordinary, serious-minded effort to talk about the possibilities of being human. And it has the most fantastically simple but clever conceit as it were so it, it it's about five imaginary people who never properly existed or they did exist as children um but they're wiped out by a bomb and francis buffer the author used to walk past this place in south london where there is uh, a memorial to a second world war bomb that killed a load of people i think in a woolworth store um, in the middle of the war and he used to look at the memorial and think no more about it and he had the idea of taking the lives taking five lives of people who had died of children who had died in that catastrophe and just imagining what those lives would have been what they would have led to so the weird thing about the book is that he, he you know that none of this happened. Not only did none of it happen because it's fiction, but none of it happened because none of these lives, even in the fiction, none of these lives are real. And it gives it this weird ethereal quality because he describes then in great detail, um, after 10 years, after 15 years, after 20 years, what all these people were doing, although they weren't doing it because they were wiped out in the blink of an eye by a bomb. And it has this kind of wonderful, because the lives are pretty, pretty grotty, actually, pretty unhappy, sort of full of all the, the ups and downs, but a lot of the downs um, that, that kind of ordinary lives in South London from the wartime onwards would have had. And yet, at the same time, you're left thinking how awful it is that this didn't happen, that this kind of person hasn't had to deal with 
mental illness or haven't had to deal with a child who goes off the rails, who haven't had to deal with divorce, all these things that we think are awful. Actually, it's just the most amazing um, privilege. Privilege is too too weak a word, but there's the most amazing thing to be part of. And, and it, it kind of celebrates by suggesting that these people should have been part of all of this, but weren't. It celebrates the fact of being of being human. It is it is the most extraordinary book, and I, I absolutely loved it. Okay. Do you have a favourite um, memoir or autobiography? I suppose the, the, the cliche is always that autobiographies are just score-settling exercises. They're all self-serving, but there are bound to be. There are always some some diamonds <laughs> there as well. So, yeah. is it, do you have a favourite one there? Yeah, I have, um, and it's it's a it's a memoir of of really no more than well the best part of half a year or so. It's by a guy called Timothy Krause, and it's called The Boys on the Bus, and it's a memoir of the 1972 presidential election campaign. So he's one of the correspondents who's sent to cover um, uh, the, the campaign. And it's back in the days where, you know, it really was a kind of intense experience. They were all together for the whole thing. And this was, um, uh, a, 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 they were also all men because women didn't cover political campaigns in those days. But it's the most kind of... Um, zany, entertaining, um, disturbing account of how politics, and this is why it's still relevant today, of how politics can be reported by people who are essentially part of a pack and actually quite a feral pack. And I'm not necessarily pointing fingers at the lobby, um, but it is interesting just to see how politics it was reported then and to say, well, that was then, this is now, and there's so much that is different, but also at the same time to, to kind of see the ways in which it is it is similar. And it's it's funny. It's got a um, – Hunter S. Thompson was a, a colleague of, of Timothy Krause's on Rolling Stone, which is the, 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 the uh, magazine he worked for, um, and sings its praises, and there's no higher praise than, than that because a lot of it is also – very funny it's just really sharply written so i mean it's a kind of it is a memoir it's a memoir of a particular time of life but not one of those memoirs that drags on and on um like a podcast into the uh late evening unedited and (laughs) self-indulgent just just a reminder yeah (laughs) yeah um J. Webb Esquire. Um, a bit of speculation for question three. Uh, whose uh, as yet unwritten memoir would you like to read? Uh, Sue Gray, I suppose, has to be up there. <laughs> yes. um, if, it's un, if it's unwritten and unexpurgated, then yeah. it's going to be worth reading, isn't it? Um, I tell you, actually, that the, the one that John Humphreys always used to say, that the one interview you know, he regretted that he'd never been able to do was the Queen. And um, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, she's not going to be interviewed by John Humphrey. She she rather cleverly saw that problem coming and saw it off. Um, but uh, a, a memoir from Her Majesty uh, would be fascinating. Just those, I mean, my goodness. Just, actually, she could just do a memoir about the, the weekly meeting with prime ministers, couldn't she? And it wouldn't need to... Mm. Wouldn't need to have much more in it, and it would be um, it would be quite a bestseller. Definitely. Is there is there a book, Justin, that you'd love to step inside of, even if it's just for a day, maybe only even for a few hours? I would choose 
a dance to the music of time, which is this long comic novel about the upper classes from, I suppose, the period just after the First World War, right through to the 1970s, multi-volume piece, Anthony Pohl mm. uh, wrote it. And it it contains the kind of the, the life that my mother would have known when she was young. So the sort of posh, um, entitled life that then became tougher as time went on and the war changed things and some of the servants went away and never came back. And there's this slightly decaying sense that Anthony Pohl captures of the the English aristocracy in that time. But at the same time, this sort of um, stiff upper lip ability to carry on and get on with life and particularly during the war still to, you know, have balls where suddenly a bomb would fall and kill everyone at it. And there's this sort of sense of um, of, of duty as well as entitlement. And I, I became, I, I read the whole of it during lockdown and I'd love to. I love that his characterization is fantastic. This guy's full of really vivid, vivid people and just vivid scenes in the life of the country. And I think it'd be great just to to dip in uh, occasionally as uh, the English aristocracy gradually, gradually fades away. After they've had lunch at Twickenham, yeah. maybe. Uh, next uh, <laughs> question. How many books do you read a month, Justin? Oh God, it varies enormously, actually, because I I, um, I review books for the Times, books about American politics. So suddenly there are a whole load of them. Um, I might read four or five, but actually, generally, probably one, one or two. I'm quite tired by the evening, to be honest. <laughs> well, well, on that subject, Justin, given you read so much about U.S. politics, and that's that's something that we're both interested in as well. Is there a is there a book that you'd recommend on that on that particular? I know you weren't sort of prepped on this particular question, but uh, a book on U.S. politics you'd recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that I've read recently that I really, really enjoyed is Landslide by Michael Wolf. So Michael Wolf, the kind of slightly balmy. Um, American journalist. I mean, his writing style is slightly balmy. I don't think I'm not casting aspersions on his his own uh, um, uh, character, but he's got this sort of very, very hard. Actually, it reminds me a bit of Hunter S. Thompson. That's very hard charging writer, and he is accused by his enemies sometimes of making things up, including by by Donald Trump. But he wrote a book called Landslide. So where all these rather po faced, I get sent these endless books about Trump, saying Donald Trump is not a good man. Here is why in in 44 chapters. And you just, by the end of it, you'd lose the will to live. Michael Wolfe just takes uh, the approach of giving you unvarnished with very good sourcing, the kind of balmy things that used to happen behind the scenes and then essentially making, letting you make your own judgments. But they are, I mean, they're sourced right up to Donald Trump himself um because these it's called landslide because he, he goes to see uh Donald Trump and 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 they have a discussion where Donald Trump maintains that he he won a landslide 
and doesn't see the kind of irony of Michael Wolff saying, well, perhaps I should call my book Landslide. And Trump says, yeah, why don't you? As, <laughs> as if that's yeah, it's going to be kind of endorsement of what I think of the election results. Really? But it is a, it's a really good... I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of books about American politics, but not ones that tell you uh, that Donald Trump was a poor president because, um, well, people have made up their own mind about that. So clearly, the Michael Wolf book, uh, that Michael Wolf book, just roars along, and you're and you're um, ripping the pages as you're uh, scorching through it. How long do you give a book that you're not enjoying, or do you always finish them? No, I always finish them. Yeah, I, I, I maybe. I'm really, no, you I'm always finish, even if you're hating a book, you finish oh, yeah. it. Oh my goodness. I don't often read books that I hate. Actually, I, I don't. Uh, it's it's um, it's as with podcasts. If you're incredibly careful uh, and you filter out almost everything, then you'll be left with really good stuff. I'm intrigued by who's sending all the emails that we can hear <laughs> pinging into your inbox. By the way, and it's true uh, because I can't switch off my daughter's Teams messages. So as I'm speaking to you, I'm watching. The messages coming in. She's actually in school. So why are they sending messages to each other on Teams? I don't know. The whole of the yes. modern world is such a mystery, isn't it? We didn't do that in the 70s. We did no. all sorts of no. bad things, but not that. Well, this this is just part of the self-indulgent and unedited <laughs> world of the podcast in which you are now... I'm, I've been trapped into it. I've actually been entrapped. Uh, next question. Cut this which out. Has ca- <laughs> yeah, no. uh, which book has... Cut it out. <laughs> Which book has kept you up when you've had to be up early the next morning to go in and do uh, do your radio four shift? Is there anything? Or yeah. you, I imagine you're quite disciplined. You just go, no, I've got to stop. I'm pretty disciplined, actually. You can't do it any other way. I mean, again, we mentioned John Humphreys probably more than we should have done, but he told me years ago um, that you've the, the key to doing really early morning radio is not to be absolutely knackered. And nothing else really matters. You don't need to have read anything. You don't need to have read the brief. You, you need to vaguely remember the name of the person you're talking to. But actually, you mustn't be tired because the key uh, is to be is to listen to what people say and respond to it and ask questions off the back of it. And you can't do that if you're knackered. So, um, no, I, I don't. Nothing much keeps me up at night to be to be perfectly honest are there any books uh, then justin that stand out to you from your childhood people who've read your book will will know will know which way we're going here but but just uh, expand for those who haven't yeah i mean there are there are two books that really do um uh, make a difference to me one of them was written it's it's called the knights of the cardboard castle and it was written by the woman who later became very famous as the writer of the wombles um, but the Knights of the Cardboard Castle is this sort of very um, upper middle class kind of slightly upmarket Enid Blightney kind of characters, um, posh kids who go and make a castle out of a disused building. And there are various uh, the village louts try to get it and they get help from a salt of the earth guy who's the caretaker. And then they basically all go home for tea afterwards and the reason I loved it is because it was a kind of normality um it 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 spoke to me about how I had just this sense that life should be as a child although I didn't have any of it and I do I remember just just absolutely becoming lost in its um uh luscious but actually frankly probably rather dull uh 
um, pages. And the other one is Stig of the Dump. I can't remember who wrote Stig of the Dump, but lots of people will remember Stig of the Dump who yeah. are roughly uh, uh, my age. Um, but it was a, a fantastic book. Again, kind of quite a safe adventure story. I, I went for safe adventure stories. Um, and also I was inveigled into going to boarding school. My mother, when she was persuading me to go by Jennings, which again, this was Anthony Buckridge. Oh, yes. I, I mean, yes. did you did you do Jennings? Uh, yes, Simon? Jennings yeah. in Derbyshire. Derbyshire, Wizard Wheeze. Yes, I mean I'm not sure that we're talking about great literary merit, frankly speaking, <laughs> but um, it, it it was comforting, and particularly Clive King was the was the author of Stig. Ah, Clive King. Yes, yes, yeah. 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 Uh, are there any books that scare you witless? No. Um, well, not in the in the in the conventional sense of 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 being frightened. Um, I I suppose um, a, a child in time. The, um, the the book that was that was written years ago now about the loss of a child in a supermarket, um, and. When you read it, you feel this, particularly if you've got children of your own, you feel this kind of visceral, uh, rising sense of panic and discomfort, which actually it's a wonderful book that explores, a bit like the Francis Spufford book actually, explores the kind of nature of our relationship with time uh, and the enormous importance of human life, but also the way in which it just disappears and in the big, broad scheme of things um doesn't matter um so i mean I, I i'm capable of being frightened by what happens in a book but not actually being 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 frightened by it and and finally justin is there a book that you'll always turn to to cheer you up yeah i'm a huge um hunter s thompson fan and i've read and actually reread during the 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 years, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I still think is one of the great kind of classics because of the pace at which it's written and the fact that it was written before people had to be careful about what they said. Um, and it is incautious. Uh, uh, it's absolutely mad. I think its opening line is something like, we were just outside Barstow when the drugs began to take a hold. <laughs> words to that effect. And it kind of, it starts, and it, you wouldn't approve of this at all. It's much worse than rugby, Matt, when it comes to <laughs> poor behaviour. It's a book about poor behaviour. And, you know, I, 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 without endorsing uh, the behaviour of any of the principal characters, I would just like to say um, he wrote it for fun and he wrote it in an absolutely brilliantly effective way and I I, um, I enormously like Hunter S. Thompson I would definitely read and reread that. I also like Michael Frayn actually, he also wrote comedy books, they're probably a bit dated now, The Tin Men back from the 1960s, yeah. Towards the End of the Morning, which is a wonderful book about journalism um, a really a properly, I mean, almost as good as Scoop, the Evelyn War classic with uh, just about how Fleet Street was in I suppose the late 60s early 70s, the kind of drinking culture and the the sense of sort of disillusion and sadness, actually, but also um, the, the 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 amusing characters that were there and that were allowed to exist in that 
day and age. So yeah, I'd go for 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 Michael Frayn and um, dear old Hunter S. Thompson. And final non-book related question, only because you're Justin Webb and you're on our podcast. Uh, so you haven't been warned about this question, so I'm just going to chuck it at you. In your opinion, Justin, can the present day Republican Party in America claim to believe in democracy? Yes, it can. Um, I, I, I strongly think that it can. American political parties go through periods of great uh, madness and survive. You think of the Democrats and how racist they were actually as a political party. You think of the change that that was wrought within the Democratic Party in the 1960s. Um, the Republican Party is in desperate straits. Um, many, 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 probably a, a good majority of their members uh, appear not to believe in democracy at the moment, appear even more worryingly to think that there's nothing wrong with what Vladimir Putin does, uh, have all sorts of peculiar views about the modern world, some of them uh, at the level of army conspiracies, some of them slightly less so. Um, so the party's in trouble, there's no doubt about that. But American political parties are incredibly able at reinventing themselves. And I think it's entirely possible um, that they do. Not certain, but possible. Uh, Justin Webb, a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. Justin's book is The Gift of a Radio, and you can hear Justin talking about that book on our companion podcast. Uh, Justin, thank you. Thanks appreciate a lot, guys. Time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, don't don't edit it too unfairly now. Oh, do you not edit? Oh, what? Hello? No, no. There's an editor. He just doesn't yeah. edit. That's, yeah. that's, the, that's the whole point. Uh, Justin, bye bye. That. Thank you very much. Cheers, now. Cheers. Thank you. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings, to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello. I'm Violet Manners, and welcome to Hidden Heritage, the podcast that brings you inside Great Britain's favorite destinations. From the same team that brought you the number one history podcast, Duchess, Hidden Heritage will uncover the fascinating stories behind the UK's brightest shining hidden gems. You'll hear from top experts in British heritage, including custodians, historians, artisans, experts, and even the craftsmen and restorers who've worked on some of the most celebrated historic buildings. We will share the untold and unique stories that celebrate UK heritage, from landmarks to architecture, artifacts to myths and legends. Hidden Heritage will highlight a side to British history you have never seen before. I'm your host, Violet Manners, and founder of Heritage X, 
and I invite you all to join us on this exciting journey. This is Hidden Heritage. You can find Hidden Heritage wherever you listen to your podcasts.